named our podcast the World Class Agency Podcast, not because we thought we were world class, but because we try and get closer to it every conversation that we have. What does World Class Estate Agency look like to you? World Class Estate Agency is all about people. The good estate agents add adds an incredible amount of value to the consumer. He's, he's looking after the customer properly, so being approachable, being accessible. And for me, every day's a learning day. What does being a world-class agent mean to you? Hello and welcome to another episode of the World Class Agency Podcast. This is a slightly more Australian-sounding Mark Worrell this morning. Uh, my name is Sam Hunter from Home Search. I am not joined, as ever, by my co-host, Mark Worrell, uh, who's having the morning off this morning. Uh, he's got two kids. He's homeschooling. Uh, so we're going to do everything we possibly can to get through this with just you and me this morning so uh strap in and bear with me we are going to get there what are we uh nearly i said to my wife this morning that we're nearly halfway through january and we sort of both looked at each other like bags under our eyes from a mild uh night of sleep uh and we thought like time just flies by you know you remember when you were a kid and a year used to seem like the longest thing in the world and now years go by in the flash of an eye and I know time's relative and that's because when you're a kid it was like one-eighth of your life that had passed by in a year but it does seem like it's not slowing down even with everything that we've been going through since the latest measures were announced by Boris last Monday evening. Um, not a huge amount's changed I think certainly in in with the agencies I'm talking to you know I think uh, buyer inquiry still appears to be, and, and I think this goes for tenant inquiry too, still appears to be really strong. Um, there are viewings being done. The debate is raging about whether it's morally right for agents to be doing viewings or otherwise. Um, if it's your livelihood, you know, I think it's difficult to be able to, to, to sort of stop. And I do understand people's hesitations, but I also do understand people needing to get the job done. I've woken up to the news this morning where, um, parts of the government have said it may be necessary to pause all home moves to sort of cur the, curb um, the further spread and, and to introduce more restrictions. Um, again, guys, we've been there before. You know, we spent three and a half months in proper, like, unmitigated lockdown to start uh, 2020, nearly said 2019. Um, so if that happens again, you know, the strategies are there and in place about communicating with your marketplace, about doing what you can virtually. Work doesn't have to stop, even if the physical viewings do. Uh, and that's the really, I think, unique thing that everyone has learned over the last eight months uh, is how much you can actually get done over a Zoom call or on the phone or via text message. You know, with the way that technology is now, you can do whatever you need to do pretty much all the time. Um, and then you can just rack and stack those physical appointments to hopefully just sign some terms and move forward when the market reopens again. It's an interesting thing that will happen, I think, if viewings do stop, because I think that will effectively halt anybody who thinks that they can sneak in before the March 31 deadline. I can understand why the government will be uh, sort of hesitant to do it. Uh, they are relying on that stamp duty revenue. It's why they dropped that in the first place to encourage a market like this to boost the coffers back up after they've been giving so much out. So they would be reluctant to stop that happening, but it may be what it needs to be, you know, uh, eight weeks of suffering for us all to get through a more normal life if they can keep those vaccine targets going on. We've got a great show for you today. 
Um, I am speaking to uh, Mark's mum, Georgina. Um, I know we don't usually reveal everything beforehand, but it was going to be Mark and I, uh, and then he has bigger priorities in our podcast in terms of his two sons homeschooling and making sure that they're okay. So we are having a chat to his mum about self-employed model, about running your own business, about trials and tribulations and what world-class agency looks like to her. So without further ado, we're going to jump straight into that. And then I'll do my best to join you again at the end to unpack it. Uh, so yeah, here we go. Today's guest is a lady with significant experience in the property market. She's a qualified property lawyer, financial advisor, and is regional executive for the NAEA Property Mark. She launched her first agency business back in the year 2000 before launching another along with her son, my esteemed co-host, four years ago. She's here today to discuss why she believes the self-employed model has a big future in the industry and has all the opportunities for agents to grow themselves and their business. Technically, it's her second appearance on the show after she chaired our Women in Property episode last year, but it's her first time flying solo. Georgina Cox, welcome back to the World Class Agency podcast. Oh, thank you, Sam. That's a lovely intro. Um, and thank you very much for having me. As you know, I am probably, well, I, I do believe I am your biggest fan. Um, I really <laughs> love listening to you and, and Mark. And I have to say, I have gained so much from your podcast. So it's a pleasure to be here with you this morning. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. You are like my surrogate English mum, I think. <laughs> so uh, I'm your biggest fan back, I think. Right. Uh, that was nice. Thank you very much. I'm sitting up in my chair and I'm going a bit flushed now, but I want to talk to you about your career because it's interesting. Now, I've you know come up and seen you guys and we've talked about how agency hasn't changed all that much over a fairly long period of time, but I'm interested to know why you left the legal side of the industry and decided to, to, to start moving works way back when? Yeah. Um, and it's a question, you know, people um, do ask because I think they are quite surprised by sort of the, the change of profession, as it were. Um, I have to say it was a personal probably rather than a, a professional choice at the time. Um, I had actually gone through um, a, a divorce, I'd, I'd remarried. And my husband um, was a financial advisor. And I suppose the first impression that I thought was I was working incredibly hard as a solicitor um, for a lot less money than he was earning as a financial advisor. So what I did was I became directly authorised. I took my exams, I qualified as a financial advisor and became directly authorised um, by the Law Society. So I was dealing as a solicitor and financial advisor. Um, and I overloaded with that. Um, and consequently, I ended up actually selling my practice because um, Clive, my husband, saw that I was so overloaded, had three young children, um, and he didn't really want me to work. Um, so I sold the practice, um, which I had built up, you know, successfully. And I loved, I, I've always loved dealing with people. Um, so I was um, predominantly a property lawyer. It was a village practice. It wasn't a big, you know, um, city practice that I built. It was a village practice, but I loved dealing with people. Mm. Um, and so very quickly being at home, actually, it just wasn't for me. I, I couldn't cope with the walls around me. So I went to um, return really to the legal profession. And then I suppose I hadn't realized the extent of the borrowing out clause, which as a solicitor I knew was in, um, but I hadn't worked it through in my head and I didn't want to travel a um, considerable distance to work as a lawyer with the three young children because I would basically have overloaded again. So I looked at my skill set and what um, I 
had experience in. Um, I had also um, had a very poor experience with a, an estate agent um, when we sold the full matrimonial home. And I thought, well, okay, this is where my skills lie um, in dealing with property and dealing with people. I wanted to set up an agency, but I didn't, I set it up differently from the start. And I don't know whether you know this, Sam, but actually Moving Works when I set it up was a set price model um, at 499. And we took 99 pound up front. And that is where we started. And we had tremendous extent, uh, sorry, tremendous success with that model. Um, however, very quickly, the timing that we were, prices were on the increase and we became a cheap option. So when the price was originally set at that, it was um, on the line, maybe slightly lower, but on a line with agency fees. But we took the view that um, because we were paid up front, well, partly up front, um, it very much was, we didn't have a sole agency agreement, what have you. We didn't mind if other agents, if a, a client went with other agents. So we were attacked by other agents. They attacked our boards very much um, to do dual agency. So we decided as prices were going up, our fee was looking cheaper, which wasn't what we set up. We'd always been very keen on marketing. Would you believe we were the first agent in Lancashire to have um, a website? We were the first agent to have that That's website. Amazing. And we're talking 21 years ago. It's not that long. Um, so basically, we started to change the model and we went from being that um, set price agent to the highest charging agent in the area. Um, so that's sort of the development of Moving Works. And throughout that, um, we've obviously done financial services as well. But that's sort of the history of, of Moving Works and why I became um, an agent rather than a solicitor. And yeah, um, quite, I suppose, a strange um, foray into property, really. It makes sense, though, if you'd seen how it was done from the outside in. I think that's how a lot of people end up in this role is they have an experience different to what they believe that they would want to provide to somebody. Uh, and they end yeah. up going in and doing whatever they feel is right. And usually that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm really interested in the 99 quid up front. Um, yeah. and, and this is what happens when you come on our show. It's dangerous because you're like, I've got this certain amount of time and then I've got to go. I was like, okay, we'll stick to what we're talking about. And here we are immediately going away from that. But I, I love that as a business model, you know, forget fixed fees or percentages or whatever it is, but encouraging a would-be client to put some skin in the game early, I think is a fantastic way of understanding motivations. It also helps yeah. them understand that you're investing in their result you're not just putting a board up front you're not just throwing it on a portal and hoping for the best you are spending some money to get them their premium price um is there a reason like do you guys still do that now no we don't take money up front but we are <clears throat> we are not sorry a no sale no fee okay and we always point that out very much um when we take an instruction and if a client sort of starts to falter at that stage um, then we will walk away because we only want to deal with motivated clients. And I have never understood that element of the industry um, that agents will actually advertise no sale, no fee. Why would you? Um, and I actually think it's morally wrong um, that some clients pay more because sales, uh, well, agents don't charge clients for work on sales that fall through. So if you think about it, it's quite an unfair 
way to deal with people because inevitably some people will pay for other people's work. Yeah. How, how do you enforce the, let's say that something doesn't go exactly to plan. Um, what is, what is the, if you're happy to share, like what is the fee that's charged or how do you enforce that with your would-be clients? Well, we would charge the full fee. So we, we have the right to charge the fee if the vendor withdraws from the sale. Okay. So, and do you know, in all the years, I've only actually gone um, to court on, on one matter and we did win the case. Um, and obviously if it's through illness or circumstances, we would waive the right to that fee. Um, but what it has done over the years is really kept chains together. So, you know, the emotions are high when you just get into exchange and you've got vendors, oh, it doesn't exchange tomorrow, I'm going to pull out, et cetera, et cetera. And just a gentle word, well, you know, that's fine, Mr. Vendor, um, but you do appreciate that our fee will still be payable. Um, and you tend to find the next morning they'll come back, um, yes, yes, we're, we're happy, you know, and, and it does keep those chain, chains together when the client realises. And if a client, when we're taking on a property, um, does raise it, we would explain it, well, if you instruct a builder um, to do an extension for you and you, you carry on, he builds the extension, and then you change your mind, well, actually, the room's not quite as I was, I'm not going to pay you. If you can put it into a bricks and mortar scenario, um, it does make sense for the client. And I say if the client um, isn't happy with that and they're not motivated to sell, then why would we spend our time putting them on the market, finding them a buyer for them to actually just change their mind halfway through the transaction? I think that's one of the key things that um, it takes to be, and, and we sort of talk about striving to be world-class all the time, is you've got to have those courageous conversations as early as possible because you do want to be doing your best for the people who need a result, who want to move forward, not just those people who are dipping their toe in the water because they've read the news that the market's up and they're just going to see what happens with no real intention of moving. Now, I think given we find ourselves still in the midst of lockdowns uh, in January, there aren't that many of those people around at the moment. And the majority of people who are getting valuations and putting their property on the market are motivated to sell. But I think you're right. It's a, it is a mechanism to understand motivations um, and it gives you some business protection as well, uh, yeah. which is good. Um, talk to me briefly about Love to Move. Mark made me promise that I wouldn't make this about just about your businesses as such when we talk about sort of models and the industry. But I'm <laughs> one business is hard enough to run. No. Um, what is the sort of, what was the reason that you guys decided to set up another? Well, going back to where I a little bit different, I suppose um, Mark was coming back into the family business and I suppose came with a fresh pair of eyes. And it was at the time that we could see that Purple Bricks had just started and there was a move you know, to the sort of online. And he suggested that we look at it. And I said, okay, um, yeah, do a bit of uh, research, do a project for me. So he put it together and I said, yes, I would like to run this alongside um, Moving Works. So we basically originally just wanted a platform for Moving Works and we were going to have it um, under the Moving Works name. And then we decided that that could dilute Moving Works a little bit. We wanted a a real definition between the two 
services. So we sat along um, and my brother, who was actually a very technical, um, had a very technical background, he was involved with us as well at first. And we started working, we started working on it and very quickly realized that to do it properly, it would take an awful lot of investment. So as a family, we decided to invest on the basis that if as an independent agent, we were looking at it, there would be other agents that would also have a need for it. And economically, it wouldn't make sense for you know, a number of independent agents to have their own platform. Um, it just, you wouldn't really, it would take years and years to recoup that investment. So why not do it to the extent that it was a platform that could be shared amongst a network? Um, so that's how it, it started really. Um, and yeah, it's, it's grown from, from that early start. So it is very much um, a separate business and Mark does head that up. I am involved, um, but it, it's his baby as it were. So my, my sort of, I guess, basic understanding of it is that it, it's something that allows you to make sure that you're not missing out on someone who is maybe wanting to DIY you know if you're yeah, sitting in there yeah if you're, if you're pitching them one and a half or two percent and they're like well you know I, I can get this done for 450 quid or whatever it is you know it's to make sure that that money and that relationship stays within your business you know with a view then to go and convert it into something else if perhaps they didn't get the result they were looking for doing it on their own yeah and there is it's a, a completely different market so it, it doesn't, um, I say, dissolve the main market. It's a different market. And of course, we've had um, the online giants really throwing money at it. So there's an audience that are very educated to online out there. Um, and it, it is growing. I agree with you. There was a, a news article that came out this morning that said that Purple Bricks, for I think the third year running, had the most properties marked under offer. Um, within the UK or all UK postcodes. Um, I think that sort of is a reflection of the amount of stock that they hold as well because of the model that they operate on. Um, and you say what you want about whatever models, and I'm keen to talk to you about, you know, a uh, real estate model in a sec rather than a state agency as such. Um, but they do big numbers because clearly there is a market for it um, amongst, you know, I think a lot of people who perhaps have a larger portfolio and understand a little bit more and want to do it themselves. And this is the most cost-effective way of doing that or amongst people who are, and this is something that I would imagine why Purple Bricks has changed a bit of their model now uh, and others, but when people are forced to sell, so it's not a case of it's a rising market, let's get in and see what happens. But when people have uh, circumstances in their lives that mean that that asset could keep them afloat for however long it may be, doing it in their mind as cost effective as possible is, is the way forward. And I think probably after furlough ends and, you know, uh, everything stops, there'll be a few people in that boat and those companies that can offer that like love to move, I think will probably make sure that agents don't miss out on that business just for fear of paying a percentage when perhaps the market is tougher than it is at the moment. Yeah. I think sadly we, we will see that and there will, be a need for an affordable um, solution. And, um, you know, as well, if you can pay that um, in installments, that 
will help people. Um, we've also, I suppose, seen a rise of it as well with you know the COVID situation and people wanting that little bit more control. Um, I think they feel because they are making the appointments, it gives them more control about who is coming into the house. Um, so yeah, but but sadly, I agree, Sam. I think at the end of furlough, um, we're going to see quite um, quite a lot of sad cases. Mm. And I, I we, we were sort of talking about this. Uh, before even the second lockdown, sort of through August and September, about how, yes, it's good now, but you've got to view your job as a responsibility rather than just an opportunity. Um, and I think this year, is that, that's probably going to be one of the key things for, for good agents to focus on. Um, speaking of good agents, um, one of the things and why I wanted to have this chat with you, not just because Mark's not here today, but because you guys have recently uh, started going down the route of employing people as like self-employed agents under the Moving Works banner, uh, which I find, uh, one, a good idea, uh, but I'm heavily biased towards people doing it for themselves in whatever company or whatever model they want to go about it. Um, can you talk me through why you guys made that decision? Um, and maybe, I know it's only really recent, so uh, there might not be too much to sort of discuss on there, but yeah, why you made that decision, uh, where you see that in sort of the future of, our industry um, and how it's been going so far. Yeah, um, we started talking about it before um, the COVID situation, um, but it is really since um, May that we've put it into action. And one of the reasons we started to look at it was, again, um, probably a personal reason rather than a, a professional. And you, you can probably tell from me, I, I tend to go from the heart before the head and then hopefully the head catches up. Um, I, Mark has got love to move, as we've said. He um, has always been involved in a state agency, but he doesn't want to have part of moving works. He's made that very clear to me. Um, I love the business I've, I've set up, um, but I had started to look at ways of sharing it. And that's why the self-employed model came along because um, yes, I could have a manager in and, and pay big commissions, and that, that's how we've worked it in the past. But I was getting to the point in my life that actually I would like some like-minded um, spirits, really, within the business um, to share what I've built up. And that's where my head was going at the beginning of the year. Um, COVID, I suppose, threw us completely out of it. Um, when we came back at the end of May, I felt a responsibility that the people that were working and we brought staff back gradually, but there was still very much um, probably the fear that we're feeling again now, but that fear was still around. And I didn't think that it was right to expect people to um, go out and, and value properties as we were then able to do if I wasn't doing it. So after years of not being on the coal front, as it were, I started going out again and I realized very quickly that although we've, as Moving Works, have um, always, well, for the last four years, offered the Love to Move um, platform alongside, I was talking very openly about it. And word was getting around, um, and it was increasing um, valuations for Love to Move or Moving Works. Um, and the business, I know it was very buoyant times, um, but the business was increasing beyond those the natural um, increase we got after we came out of, of lockdown. And it just cemented it for me that my business idea of, of sharing a bit more um, 
the concept we had with Love to Move would really work on the self-employed model. Um, so it was, yeah, it was going out there doing it that um, made me work on that actual package. And I say it is recent. So we brought three um, people in um, at the end of August and they have just been flying with it. Um, and of course, the beauty of it is, as we all know, people, there's a lot of people that do love property and want to work um, in a state agency. But the self-employed model takes a while. You've got to have quite deep pockets to get going with it because of the cash flow. And even more so at the moment with the strain that solicitors are on, the length of time chains are taking. Um, I think they're talking about the average time now is I think 18 weeks. Um, so with an upfront payment model, you can get working um, quickly really because literally you can earn in week one um, so it's it's started to move very quickly because of that um, and we've seen great success with um, the people that we have brought on and I I love the coaching element of it as well um, and it's really invigorated me again I mean love to move coming back into business gave me a boost this has given me a tr tremendous boost because I'm seeing the growth um, in those people and them loving the business, them earning and, you know, creating a, a new life for themselves with it. So, yeah, it's it's going really, really well. What, what sort of people, like what were those, what were the attributes of those three people that made you think they're the ones that we want to bring on? You know, like what do you look for in those? I really like the point that you made about um, having some like-minded people around. You know, I think culture and morale is still, as much as it's talked about, it's still underrated as a performance metric. Um, and having those people there where you can come in, you can bounce ideas off, yeah. you know, or you can share your challenges with or people who are, they just not necessarily completely think like you because you need people to challenge you oh, as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, but they, you know, they're thinking at it as a business person, not just someone who's going to work for another day. So what do you look for? You know, what made those three people stand out to you? For anyone else who's listening to this who might be thinking, do I want to take my business down that road or am I somebody who may want to go down that road myself? Um, as it happened, and it wasn't that I chose, but they are all female. And I would say um, it was guts, gutsy girls, um, really. Um, one's a single mum with a real need to earn. So she is completely determined. Um, the other lady, um, or one of the other ladies is, um, she actually had a law degree, um, but didn't continue with that. And she was in travel um, and she set up um, a decent travel business, but that just fell off the cliff. And she she was hungry, but used to, um, used to managing her own diary, um, et cetera. And then the other lady, um, came from, from property. So three quite different backgrounds, um, but all with a real hunger and a love of property. Um, one of the girls had sold and bought a property through us and I knew her, her locally. But what I looked for really was, yeah, a gutsy, a gutsy personality, um, lots of energy and confidence to be in front of a video um, to really push their own social media. And originally the idea, and, and it still is, would be that they will be out in the community um, 
you know, the laptop in the coffee shop is what we're sort of looking for, meeting people at school gates. But interestingly, they've been able to build their businesses without that because, of course, we haven't really had that. Um, so it's it's been them putting their voices out there um, and talking to people about what they do. But yes, the personality, um, I, I think with the knowledge I've got, I'm not saying I wouldn't have somebody from an industry background, of course I would, but with the knowledge we've got and the training procedures we've got in place, we can take somebody um, that hasn't got the experience. Um, I have to say, they are all members of the National Association, they've got the, uh, of the property mark, they've got the student membership because, you know, I'm a stickler um, for, for that and they will all have their qualifications, they're all going through that. But we have got um, a lot in place that we can train people quite quickly, as long as they've got that passion for property and they're good communicators and love people. I think that that's, I really like the way you summed it up. Um, they, you know, they've got gutsy personalities. That is what it is. Like resilience is, again, it's something that everyone needs to have. I think in in almost any role at the moment, because I don't think that there's many easy jobs out there in the world. You know, um, and there are no easy jobs in in agency, no matter what the market is. You know, because if it's down, then you've got to have that grit and determination to make sure that whatever opportunities there are you're maximizing them and when it's flying you've got to have that grit and determination to keep going when you feel like you can't do any more work because there's just so much stuff to be doing yeah um i want to ask you uh, as a sort of two final questions i guess um first one being like it's been a, a, a strange time over the last nearly 12 months now um so the first question being what do you think the future holds for the market here in the uk and then the second question, if you want to sort of roll them into one, uh, is well, what we ask everybody. I... Oh. Okay. Sorry, you go. Do you want to, are you going to ask me the second question first or am I going to go for the first? You go the first one first and then I'll, I'll wrap it up as usual. Okay. So um, I think you do know me, um, Sam, and I am an optimistic person. I think the market is going to continue um, to be there um well to be there to be to be strong i think we've seen an awful lot of lifestyle change and we will continue to because the first wave we saw when we came out of lockdown that pent-up demand that was people making those instant decisions of lifestyle change now you know as i do a lot of people well people make those decisions over um, a varying length of time so i think we've probably got a good two years of people still making those those changes so I think the market will stay strong with that. Sadly, as we've said, we will have the debt situation. We will also have the divorce um, and we will have a um, the baby boom with it as well. So the initial market I see as quite strong. Longer term, I think the amount of agents is going to dramatically decrease. I think we will see a similar thing that we saw in financial services when they brought in the um, stricter um, uh, qualification side um, because you know sadly there is an aging um, population of agents and um, you know I know there's been some comments thrown about about you know grey hair grey suits what have you but there are a lot of older agents that actually um, will I think say enough you know I'm, I'm not going to do qualification so I think we'll see a decrease which again for those agents that are willing to to go that extra mile there will be a lot of business and I think it is there's a lot of um 
a lot of strength in in the profession going forward um and a great livelihood there i, I kind of disagree with anything you said i think it, it it all makes largely a hell of a lot of sense um particularly the lifestyle thing um i, I really like that you said two years there um and i'm going to attempt to unpack all this as i've been making notes uh, on my own after we finish our conversation but it people don't necessarily or not everybody makes those decisions instantly you know so mm -hmm. there were people who had a really shit time through lockdown and they're the people that have all moved now you know or they're the people who had had a really shit time for the last two years and were about to move and then got locked down um i think yeah. you're exactly right that there are people who are now going through their six-month decision-making process or their year-long decision-making process and they will continue to keep the market buoyant into the rest of this year as well as the people who are in less positive decision-making mode and have to do some stuff as well uh, so thank you for sharing those thoughts um last question for you and it's the one that we ask everybody who comes on our show so i don't know whether you've got anything prepared you do listen every week so you should know what's coming um <laughs> and it is what does world-class estate agency look like to georgian cox okay well i want to change it as a world-class agent look rather than agency. Okay. So I would say an agent that's constantly striving to improve, to give the clients a world-class experience. And it's striving to improve themselves, their personal development, their learnings, striving to, to improve their business through best practice, technology. Committed to being the best agent they can. Now, as you say on, on the podcast a lot, you know, we deal with the majority of people's biggest assets. So for me to sum it up, a world-class agent respects the trust that is put with them by the client in selling that biggest asset. A world-class agent respects the trust that is put with them when selling that biggest asset. I like that. That makes a lot of sense. And again, it comes back to that theme of responsibility. You know, you can't just view it as, look at how much money I'm going to make. You have to do a job for somebody because it affects their livelihood and their family livelihood. And I think that that's something that is probably too often overlooked in a number of sales floors when they're ringing those bells. Uh, Georgina, thank you so much. Um, it's been a great chat. It's nice to talk to you one-on-one -on -one as well. We should do yeah, this more lovely. often without Mark around. Um, <laughs> from, yeah, from me and from Mark, wherever he is, for all of our uh, listeners as well, thank you very much. I hope the, well, I hope both businesses and I hope the self-employed stuff continues to go from strength to strength. Um, maybe we can have you on later in the year to see if any of your predictions come true. Okay. Thank you, Sam. That's been lovely. Have a good day. As Mark would say, a massive thank you to Georgina Cox for joining us this morning. This is the first time that I've uh, flown this podcast Han style uh, solo for anyone who didn't quite get that dad joke. So I'm going to try and spend the next couple of minutes uh, unpacking everything that Georgina and I discussed. Um, and seeing if we can't expand on some of the, the sort of more punchy points that we talked about. So for me, uh, it was just a, it was a conversation about how the industry has evolved, but actually not changed that much in the last 20 years. So she set a business up in the year 2000. Uh, if anyone thinks back to what life was like in the year 2000, I turned 13 years old. The only thing that I cared about was like watching cartoons on TV in the morning but people were still buying and selling houses. People were still doing it for high fees, doing it for low fees, doing it for fixed fees. The really interesting thing to me was that uh, Georgina charged 99 quid up front. Now, 
100 quid I don't think is a small amount of money at any point in time. I think she's done that 99p flake trick by putting it to 99 rather than 100. Um, but what it does is it's a, it's a tool to gauge motivation. Um, and I get asked the question all the time, if you're getting into real estate now, what would you do? How much would you charge, et cetera? And I think fee can be variable if you're covering all of your costs, because then the rest of it is just icing on the cake. Uh, and one thing that I say to everybody when I answer that question is, the fee that I charge would be dependent on a few things, but I would always be charging money up front. You know, uh, I'm, I come from a culture of vendor paid advertising um, where we used to charge four and a half, five thousand dollars $5,000 to everybody to actually just list their property online and to pay for the big photo signboard out front. So I'm comfortable with that. And I know that that is something that everyone listening would be, uh, you know, it might make them feel a little bit uncomfortable, challenge them on, but something like 99 pounds or something like 199 pounds, or it might be something like 399 pounds, you know, that comes off the fee when the result is achieved, but helps you cover your photography, drone, videography, floor plan, signage costs, and allows your cash flow to be in the business as well. I think it's just really smart, world-class estate agency, if that makes a hell of a lot of sense. Um, hearing more about Love to Move, whether you know this or not, but Mark and I do our best not to talk to each other about uh, the internal workings of either of our businesses um, because we're mates and we would rather it be about the industry and moving forward. So to actually hear some of the stuff about Love to Move um, coming from Georgina makes a hell of a lot of sense. Um, and just being able to have that in your back pocket so that you don't lose the business to an agent or to a, an online agent or a competitor by saying, well, actually we can offer you this model. If you are so desperate to do it on your own and to book your own viewings and to arrange your own photos and to be there and show people around and to negotiate offers, et cetera, you can do that. So if we can facilitate you being online and give you access to technology to make that process that you're doing it on a little bit easier. Um, and I think what that does is it makes sure that you're still earning from as many clients as possible and you're not wasting that time opening doors and patting dogs and doing valuations and not getting results. Now, what it also does, though, is for me, as much as that is not free, it is a bit like a freemium model. It gives you an opportunity to prove to them further that you're not full of shit so that you can upgrade them. You can upsell them into 1.5%, into 2%. So to me, it makes sense. Um, whether it be something that I do, I'd probably have to think about that a little bit more if I was an agency, because I think I am a bit of a traditionalist um, in the sense of you get paid to do a job and you charge people for the investment in the marketing up front. Um, but I think, you know, a few more years of doing this podcast and hearing about how other people do it might beat me down and have me thinking some other ways as well. Uh, I really liked, there's a, a like a throwaway line that um, Georgina mentioned in that podcast that was like, I start with my head and then I hope my head catches up. <laughs> uh, and I wrote that down because that is exactly how I operate. And I think uh, it probably isn't the most business minded way of thinking, um, but it ensures, I think that you're doing things for the right reasons. Um, I'm still probably a bit too emotional in everything that I do in business, uh, but I, that allows me to, consider decisions that I'm making from a human perspective as much as from a business perspective, which for me is really important. And I think for a lot of people listening to this show probably is as well. Um, it kind of makes sense when you're talking about what, how, how you hire self-employed people, right? You want gutsy personalities. You want people with lots of energy. You want people who've got confidence to be on video because that way people are going to get to know them even before they're 
inside their living rooms. You know, they're out in the community, coffee and laptop. It was great to hear that even since August, when sitting in laptops, having coffees or picking people up at the schoolyard hasn't been possible. These agents are still building names and reputations for themselves, thanks to online media. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking about going out on your own under whatever model it may be, or you're a business owner thinking about bringing people in, there's the blueprint. It's what we talk about every single week. You know, it's get in there, um, show off, like be Jerry Lyons said last week, like uh, show community care over market share. When you're new, you don't have market share to talk about. It's why people often have a really good start to their career. You know, I tell the story about my sort of first 18 months in real estate. The first six months, I felt like my throat had been cut because I didn't know anyone because I was 22 years old. None of my friends could buy or sell houses yet. Um, a lot of the people that uh, my mum or my family would know were in their family homes and had no intention of selling. So I didn't have that personal network. So I just had that gutsy personality, that grit and determination. And I was full of energy because I felt like I was offering something unique and something different. And I was certainly going about it how I felt was right. Second six months went really well because that work paid off. I started to get more what we call market appraisals. Uh, I started going into more valuations. I started winning more instructions. And then the third six months started to drop off. I was still getting the opportunities. I just wasn't winning them all. And the difference was that I kept telling people how good I was at selling houses now rather than sitting there and listening to them about how much they needed me to sell their house. So it's very easy to slip into those chest beating mistakes and you've just got to consistently remind yourself that people don't give a shit, you know. Yes, they value experience, but they value understanding and empathy more. And that's a really important thing to remember. It doesn't matter if you're a neg who's earning 18 grand a year and getting 10% commission, or it doesn't matter if you're a business owner who's cleaning up because you've got an army of self-employed agents like dominating whatever territory you operate in. You know, people want to know that you understand them. And people want to know that you can do a job for them. Um, they don't need to know that you've that all, all just about your results i kind of lost my train of thought there which is why i need mark back urgently um i agree with with what georgina said about uh, the market moving forward um i think it's a really unique point and, and again if you're listening to this and it's wednesday morning and you're about to go and make your 20 phone calls for the day like talk to people about what Georgina said about lifestyle change. You know, a lot of people take two years to make the decision. Those people who have kept the market as racy as it has been over the last seven months were the people who made the decision to move probably 12 months to two years before that. And there are people now still in that mode that are going to go through their own decisions and finally push the button and get their three valuations and talk to agents and understand what they can offer them now as well. So that there is a conversation that says that you understand your marketplace because it's what Georgina would say to her clients to make them understand that she understands hers, you know, birth, death, divorce. That makes sense. I think that that's really the constant in almost any market. And it's that decision-making cycle, that lifestyle change cycle that, that really moves property markets into those sort of uh, like high uh, stock level and high growth level areas as well. Um, and I, I agree regarding regulation, you know, it is coming. Um, it will result in less agencies. You know, John Paul talks about when he's looking at acquisitions this year, that's going to be a massive driving factor. You know, there are going to be business owners out there who don't want to go through qualifications themselves. So they'll be looking to offload their business. So there will be maybe 
less agencies, maybe the same number of people working them because the, those agencies will probably be acquired by ones who are looking to continue to grow and are willing to invest in themselves and get those qualifications. So if you're thinking, I don't want to get out of this industry, you need to start getting those qualifications now so that you are ahead of the game so you can take advantage of any of those opportunities that come your way. Um, and to finish up, because I'm conscious that just listening to me talk for about four and a half minutes is probably not how you want to spend your Wednesday or whatever day you are listening to this. World-class agents constantly striving to improve themselves to ensure they give a world-class experience. You know, I, to me, that makes a hell of a lot of sense. And I know that that's not quite the, the summary line that Georgina used, and I'll come to that in a second. But, you know, your business is about yourself. The better you are, the better your business is. That's, I think that's a really key thing to remember every day. Uh, I had a message from somebody that I work with this morning that said, I reminded myself how good I feel after I go for a run. So I drag myself out of bed at half past five. You know, that's hard. And I need to remind myself of that every day. It is hard, but he's going to have a better day today than he did yesterday when he didn't go for a run. I promise you that. So if you improve yourself, you improve your business. And that is what we talk about every single episode to strive to become world class. And then I think, to end on a really like not only a lovely note, but one that resonated with me and just makes a hell of a lot of sense. You know, world-class agents, not agency, as Regina said, world-class agents respect the trust that is put in them by their clients. You know, we've been talking about responsibility being a key theme in the best agents' lives for nearly a year now, um, rather than just viewing it as an opportunity. You know, if you get a new instruction of somebody who is forced to sell because of a divorce or a death or even a lifestyle change where maybe they're going about it for more positive reasons and you're just ringing that bell saying, yep, chalk another one off, not viewing that as a responsibility to make sure that they end that relationship with you with the utmost amount of money and the best experience possible, then you're doing yourself and you're doing your clients and you're doing your community a disservice. So remember that in this like very cool job that we all have, you know, the job, not the goal or the mission. Uh, and you only accomplish it if you get this done is to make sure that people, yes, they have a wonderful experience, but they leave with the most money they possibly can in their back pocket. So you've got to be going in with that mindset every single day to truly count yourself as world-class. <sighs> Take a breath. That will do it for me. I think it's really weird staring uh, into my notes and talking into my headphones uh, and not actually being able to take any sort of feedback about anything that I'm saying being worthwhile at all. So, Mark, I know you're listening to this because you said I'm going to listen as a fan for once. Come back next week. Give us some structure. Give us some water. Thank you very much to everyone else who is listening. Uh, I've never said this before, but I think I can remember it off by heart. We do this because we love our industry and we want to see it get better. So if you've liked what you've heard today, please share please subscribe please like it on facebook like it on linkedin as stephen brown who i think contractually we missed mentioning him last week uh, so i probably owe him a coffee or something like that as he always says who is one other person that you guys know that would find value from this podcast and tell them today thank you for listening have a wonderful day and week or year whenever you might be listening to this uh, and as mark always says I'm Sam Hunter, he's Mark Worrell, and we'll see you next week.